So we're continuing this series that we started last week called Better. It's all about how Jesus is better. It's a look at the book of Hebrews uh, because Hebrews has this overall theme that is essentially that Jesus is better. And it's something that I think that we need to understand because if we can trust that Jesus is better, then we can start to trust him not just with our salvation, but with our daily walk. And yet throughout this book, while it's talking about all these different ways that Jesus is better than everything else we have in the world, there's these sub-themes that are in there. And so we're going to kind of hit on a couple of those. And today what we're going to look at is, starting off in Hebrews chapter 2, there's this sub-theme that lies in there about spiritual drift. And so what I want us to do is I want us to actually turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to look at this because we need to be on guard, and we need to be watching out, and we need to be careful that we don't drift away as it says here. And so Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going. Flipping all over in Hebrews here. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version, but then I want to read it out of the Amplified. But Nancy, you don't have the Amplified Version I'm reading for. She's got the classic Amplified Version, not the updated Amplified Version. In other words, the Amplified has amplified itself. Um, so it's a super Amplified Version, whatever we want to call that. But uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Now, the Amplified in verse 1, here's where it I like this because it actually gives us the reason for the therefore. Hebrews 2.1 says, For this reason, that is, because of God's final revelation in His Son Jesus, and because Jesus' superiority to the angels, we must pay more closer attention than ever before to the things which we've heard, so that we do not in any way drift from the truth. Different translations will talk about this and will say that we need to give a more earnest heed or we need to be very careful or we need to pay much closer attention. But what are we supposed to be paying much closer attention to? The things that we've heard. The things that we've heard. And it talks about how, how those things that we heard, it began with Jesus. Jesus started this off. He's the one that told us the things that we heard. And then it was relayed to us through the people who actually heard him himself. Jesus walking with people, communicating this message to them. They heard it. It talks about how the old message that we heard was delivered by angels. I mean, how amazing is that? That God is delivering his message to humanity and he delivers it through angels. But then he's like, okay, just in case you're still not getting it, I'm going to give you a greater communicator, a greater messenger. And that's what we talked about last week, how Jesus is a better communicator. He is greater than the angels. 
greater than the angels. And yet we often will pay attention to those angelic messages and we'll give the acceptance and the credence to, hey, somebody saw an angel or they had a vision or they heard this. How amazing is that? How amazing is it that we heard from the Son of God himself? Like that's a much greater communication. And yet even though angels delivered the message of salvation, Jesus comes and delivers the message of salvation. And this is what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to hold on to, to earnestly heed, to pay close attention, to be very careful with what we have heard. What have we heard? Well, as you'll continue to hear through this series over the next few weeks, the message that we've heard is Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than you and I. He's better than anything the world has to offer. Pay attention to that. Be careful with that message. And he's saying the reason that we need to be careful. He talks about it there in verse 1. We must give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. Now, I don't want to get into a big theological debate about salvation and, and how some churches want to talk about the once saved, always saved type of deal. I just want to draw directly to what the Bible is saying here. We, this is a Christian author, a follower of Christ that is saying we, he's including or she's including whoever the author is themselves with us. We need to be careful lest we drift away from God. However you want to wrap that around your salvation theology and being eternally secure, wrap it around it. Me, I'm going to take it at face value and I'm going to look at this and saying, we need to be careful because there is a moment where we could drift away. When you hear that word drift, what do you think of? What do you think of when, when you hear the word drift? Anything come to mind? Any type of illustrations? The what? Moving away? Going in reverse? Lack of control? Leaving the path? There's an object that I think of when I hear drift. And it's not wood, even though it has drift in its name. It's a boat. It's a ship. They drift away. Now, the interesting thing is that if you're ever out in the ocean, if you've ever been there, anybody ever been in the ocean, swam in the ocean, take a dip in the ocean sometimes, it is one of the oddest feelings in the world. Because you have all of these different forces, these different motions that you can feel. Like, there's really three different motions that you wind up feeling when you're out in the ocean. You can feel the motion of the wind, you can feel the motion of the waves, and you can feel the motion of the current. Now, oftentimes, the motion of the wind is not in the same direction as the waves or the current. And really, the motion of the waves, like, you can go to a wave pool. You don't even have to go out in the ocean. You can feel the motion of the waves. You know what the motion is? Up and down. That's it. Wave goes up, you go up. Wave goes down, you go down. That's the motion. Now, underneath the waves is the current. 
Which way the current blows? Oh, that depends on how far out you are, how deep you are, something that is underneath the surface that you can't even see. And the wind, on the other hand, man, you can only feel that when you're above the surface. When you're above the surface. You think about this as boats because what happens with a boat is they are really controlled, not by the waves and not by the current. They are controlled by the winds. The winds will blow them. The winds will move them. We need to be thinking about this because if a boat can drift, if a massive ship can drift, and even the greatest and the largest that are out there, they will drift if they're not anchored down. They'll just start to float out there. It doesn't matter that the current is pushing towards the shore. If the winds are pushing away from it, it's going out in the deep. And the author here is telling us that we need to be careful and we need to pay attention lest we drift away. Not lest we drift towards, we drift away in reverse, moving off the path, getting out of the way from where we're supposed to go. Be careful. That's what we're told to do. And it's not just the author of Hebrews. James talks about this as well. James chapter 1, verse 6 he talks about if any of us are lacking wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach. And there in verse 6 it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Man, we start doubting what we've heard. We start questioning what we've heard. This is the word of God. This is truth. Thousands upon thousands of men and women, God-fearing individuals, have given up their lives. And all they had to do was renounce this Bible. Renounce that it's the Word of God. Say it's a lie. Say it's false. And they refuse to, and they have died because of it. That's how much they know that it's true. Do we know that it's true? Or do we doubt that it's true? Because when we start to doubt it, we start to be tossed by the wind. When we start to doubt it, we start to drift away. We can't be doing that. Pastor of Life Church, Craig Rochelle says, without somebody speaking into your life and keeping you on track with the things that you believe, you have a tendency to drift into habitual sin. Without someone speaking into your life and keeping you on track, you have a tendency to drift into habitual sin. I, I've been in pastoral ministry for 15 years now, and I have seen this over and over and over again. And yet the sad reality is that drifting, spiritual drifting, it doesn't happen instantaneously. Oh no, it's slow. It's subtle, it's silent, and it drifts them away from what they knew, where their hope was, away from salvation. And time and time again, I have seen this, and it starts small, it starts silent, it starts subtly, and yet it always leads to sin. And the sin grows and grows and grows. I mean, Satan isn't coming through 
and getting you off of your love for God instantaneously? He doesn't defeat you spiritually in one fell swoop. No, he slowly chips away at you day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to the point where you're so far out there, you have drifted so far, you can't even see the shore anymore, and you don't know where the hope is. You're gone. You don't know how you got there, and you have no clue how to get back. This happens over and over again, which is why we are being told, be careful. Pay attention to where you're at, what you're doing. You see, this is what happens. People out there in the ocean, if they're not paying attention to what they're doing on their ship, they're not paying attention to what they're doing on their boats, if they're not watching and paying careful attention, close attention to where they are at, the winds come across the winds send them out even farther. And then they don't even know where they're at. They're lost. Drifting will make us lost. The thing about this is it does lead to that habitual sin when we start to drift away. And I mean, I love that Craig Rochelle was saying that we need somebody to speak into our lives to keep us on track. And yet I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, We've got someone speaking into our lives, keeping us on track. We have the word of God speaking to us to speak into our lives and to keep us on track. But when we're not listening, when we're not opening ourselves to the word, what happens? Sin creeps in. And the sad reality is that every single sin requires a punishment that's exactly what it says here in verse 2. If the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and yet every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, what is a just reward? That's your punishment. I like how the message translation puts this. I think you've got that one, Nancy, don't you? It says it's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. If the old message delivered by the angels, was valid, which it was, and nobody got away with anything, which they didn't, do you think we can risk neglecting this latest message, this magnificent salvation? No, because first of all, it was delivered in person by the master and then accurately passed on to those of us who heard it from him. <laughs> it's been passed along. The first message of salvation was valid. And here's the brilliance of this. The Old Testament points to the New Testament. Let's not even call it testament for a second. Let's call it covenant. Let's call it promise. The old promise of salvation pointed to the new promise of salvation. And the new promise of salvation opens up and reveals the old promise of salvation. And yet every single part of this promise came down to this one simple truth. Everything deserves a just reward. And if you sin, it must be punished. Every sin must be punished. In that Old Testament, they had this sacrificial system that had to be so exhausting. So exhausting to follow this sacrificial system. Because first thing, you had to try to figure out 
What kind of an offering am I supposed to be providing right now? Because there's a burnt offering, and then there's a grain offering, and there's a peace offering, and there's a sin offering, and there's a trespass offering. And depending on which offering it is, you know, the burnt offering, you've got to provide either a male sheep, goat, turtle, or pigeon. For the grain offering, it's got to be salted and unleavened cakes. I mean, that's the way you've got to do it. You might be able to put a little bit of honey in there, but it still has to be salted, and it can't be leavened. Then for the peace offering, it had to be an unblemished male or female animal. Doesn't really matter, just unblemished, male or female. For your sin offering, you had to have a young bull or a male or female goat, dove, pigeon, or a meal offering, depending on which one. And then for that trespass offering, unblemished ram was the only thing. And so think how exhausting that would be. Um... Uh, I got to have a peace offering today, um, which, which, hold on, let me figure out what is it that I'm supposed to offer and how am I supposed to offer it? Because if I don't offer it in the right way, I can be struck dead. And then, of course, you had like the, the priests that once a year, they go in and try to do this offering. And it was so, like, so in depth on how it had to be in such a huge risk that they would tie a rope around the priest's waist when they would walk into the tabernacle to go into the Holy of Holies. Because if they did one thing wrong, the priest would drop dead. Which means they ain't coming back out. So you needed the rope attached to them so you can pull them back out. Like give a little tug. If they ain't coming back, if they're not tugging back, well, you know you got to drag them out of there. And they're, they're dead. And well, I guess... Uh, our sacrifice hasn't been covered for the year. We got to wait until next year to do this. Like, how exhausting would that be? But yet, that is the old promise. That is the Old Testament. And yet, it's valid. And everything, every single sin had to be punished. <laughs> but I love the fact that verse 3 starts to tell us about this. And it's like, hey, uh, how are we going to escape if we neglect the great salvation. If they couldn't escape the old one, what makes you think that we're going to be able to escape the new one if we neglect it? And I love how it's talking about the neglecting right in contrast to the drifting of way. Because when we start drifting away, it's because we're not paying attention to what we've heard, which is neglecting our hope. Neglecting the salvation. And how do we think we're going to escape that? How do we think we're going to escape that? See, the great part about this is that we actually have a better sacrificial system than the old promise did. The old promise, you got this one, you got that one, you got the other, and then you got two more, and I don't know which one's which, and I'm not quite sure if I could remember. If I didn't have my notes, I wouldn't have been able to remember any of those offerings. But in the new promise, I know the sacrifice. I know the sacrifice that covers it all. I love it because Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 10, actually tells us exactly what it is. And we can look at this out of the New Living Translation. What God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
oh man, we don't have to worry about this every single time, year after year after year after year. Jesus came in, laid himself down as a living sacrifice, a spotless, unblemished, perfect sacrifice, took the punishment for each and every one of our sins once and for all. Jesus died in your place. Jesus made you eternally right before God. Jesus sealed your destiny. And if you still neglect that, what hope is there for you? <laughs> what more can be done? Are you picking up on the urgency to be careful, pay attention? You don't want to neglect this. You don't want to drift away. Because if you do, what more can be done? Like, what, what more can be done? Jesus came in, saved us, and planted us. He came in and he anchored us. But are we still anchored if we're drifting? And what is our anchor? Great question. Glad you asked. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 18 through 20. It says that by two immutable things, and I'll stop right there because oftentimes if you're anything like me, you've read that and you're like, two immutable things? What is two immutable things? I will tell you what two immutable things is. It's God's promise and God's oath. He has sworn by his word and he has sworn by himself. Two immutable, unchangeable things. It is by these two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie that we can have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the anchor. Our hope in Jesus is the anchor. It is the thing that will keep us from being afloat. And what is the hope in Jesus? Where is Jesus at? It has been telling us that this entire book. He is seated at the right hand in heaven on the throne. He has made it. He has escaped this world. He has escaped all the torment. He escaped the snares of hell. He got freed from all of that. And now he is in paradise. Praise God. And he went before us. And he says, all you have to do is follow me. And guess where I'm going? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will be back for you. And I will bring you home. That is the hope that we have. Jesus conquered it. God talked about it. They accomplished it. We have hope in that. It doesn't matter what we're going through or what we're facing here on this earth. If we will focus on the message that we have heard, and that is eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. If we will pay attention to that. If we will hold fast to that. As it talks about here in Hebrews 6, if we will lay a hold of that. That anchors us. 
It's an anchor for the soul. The soul is your mind. The soul is your will. The soul is your emotions. It is the playground where Satan loves to operate. He's going to speak subtly to your mind. Play on your emotions. Try to change your will so that your will is not about serving God, but your will is about serving yourself. And he does this, and he is so good at it. But yet he's not that clever. This is the same old trick that Satan has been using from the very beginning. From the very beginning, we can even see it in the garden, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Satan's tripping us up over and over and over again with that. It's the same way that he tempted Jesus out in the wilderness. It's the same thing that Peter tells us to be careful of. And yet that's how he does it with us. Slowly, subtly, silently, causing us to drift away because we're no longer anchored in the hope. The hope that it's all about Jesus and Jesus is the better. We've drifted. We've fallen off. We did it slowly. Slowly because we went from reading our word every single day to listening to it occasionally to only really opening our Bibles on a Sunday to sometimes not even looking or reading the Word at all. He does it subtly because we stop fellowshipping with one another. And I know that's a Christian term, fellowship. Refer to it as spending time with one another gathering together, however you want to call it. But subtly, we spend less and less time with each other. I mean, it used to go from, well, man, we were either meeting or talking with each other daily, multiple times a day. Sometimes you're like, well, they just stopped blowing up my phone. And then it goes to, well, a couple times a week I hear from them. You know, like Sundays and home group. And then all of a sudden it's just Sundays. And then all of a sudden it's rarely on Sundays. And next thing you know, we're not gathering together at all. And it happens silently. Because it used to be a case where we were a people of prayer. We took what Paul said to heart pray without stopping. Like we were praying all the time. Wake up in the morning, saying our prayers, thanking God for a new day. Getting ready to eat breakfast, praying over that meal, and we're thanking Him for it. Getting to work, praying God for strength and for protection. That all of the imbeciles would not cause us any confusion. Get to lunch, praying again. Start heading home. We're praying for traveling mercies on that ride back. Get home, praying for dinner. All of a sudden, bedtime, we're praying with wife and kids. Shutting our eyes at night. Praying, falling asleep. And then it goes to, well, we say one prayer a day. It's usually at dinner time. And it's went from being like an earnest prayer to, 
good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. We want to get it done quick and snappy. And then it went from not even doing it once a day to once a week. And that once a week was, you know, we would just not even really be praying. It was pastor that was praying, and he just prompted us by saying, you know, let's say amen, and I said amen, so I think that counts as me praying, right? But then, of course, because we've slowly and we've subtly started to drift away from the church, we don't even do that anymore. This is how it happens. And it's all because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. Because we took our eyes off of him, because we, we stopped listening to his word, we stopped reading his word, we stopped surrounding ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we stopped communicating with God through prayer. We've neglected our hope. We've neglected our salvation. People drift. It happens all the time. D.A. Carson said that people do not drift towards holiness. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness. They do not gravitate towards prayer. They do not gravitate towards obedience to Scripture or faith or even taking delight in the Lord. Without grace-driven effort, it doesn't happen. We do not drift towards God. We drift away from Him. We have to be anchored. We have to be anchored to prevent that drift. That anchor is being very careful, paying close attention to the message that we have heard that Jesus came that Jesus saw, that Jesus conquered, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, and he is waiting to return and to take us home. That is the hope that we have, and that is the anchor that we need to prevent us from ever drifting away. I know we're going through things. I know we face things. There's stuff in this world all the time. Do you think that God doesn't know that? Do you think that Jesus doesn't know that? He not only knows that, he's been through it. Look at what Hebrews 2.18 says. Hebrews 2.18 says this one. For in that he himself has suffered and being tempted, and he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus felt all of those temptations, all of the things that will draw us away, all of the things that can cause us to drift, all of the obstacles that will get us to neglect the message that we've heard, the hope that we've had. He faced all of that, and yet he didn't fall for it. He stayed anchored. He stayed anchored. And his anchor is the exact same anchor that we have. That God was going to do through him what he did through him. He knew that. And you know how he knew that? Because it's not just the new promise. It's the same thing that was promised in the old. Jesus knew all of that. He knew who he was, he knew what he had to do, and he knew what the result of that would be. It was prophesied for thousands of years. That's where his hope was in. But we have a much better message because it's not just a message of, oh, this will happen sometime in the future. No, our hope is in the message that, guess what? This did happen. And Jesus is proof of it. 
He's already defeated and won this battle. And because he's won it, all those who are in him have as well. See, what happens is when we recognize where we're at, when we recognize the obstacles that we face, we can start to search the scriptures to see what God is speaking to us to make sure that we don't fall into those pits. And there is a deep pit of drifting away that we're about to face if we're not careful. So what do we do? The first thing we need to do is exactly what it says. We need to pay attention. Pay attention. That means that we're to pay attention not only to yourself, but pay attention to your Savior. Pay attention to yourself. Recognize and consider the weaknesses that you have. You're not Jesus. Think about your tendencies that have. What is it in your life that will draw you in, that wants to entice you, and that will lead you into sin? What is that? And when does it happen? Start to recognize the patterns. We need to recognize those patterns because Satan sure does. He capitalizes on them. But if we can recognize them when that time comes about, throw that anchor down, focus on the hope that you have, the hope that Jesus overcame this so I can overcome this. I don't have to fall for this anymore. Where are your affections at? What is it that you're longing for? What do you love? What is it that you're thinking about all the time? Because if that's not Jesus, well, now we need to consider him a little bit more and pay attention to him a little bit more. Man, I catch this every summer, especially, you know, having worked as a bus driver. I'm used to my days being in a routine, but all of a sudden when my days stop being in a routine, all of a sudden I just start neglecting simple things. I was telling on myself the other day, I got this morning routine. I wake up out of bed, go to the bathroom. First thing I do, I mean, I empty bodily fluids and then I wind up sticking my toothbrush under there, get a little wet, put some toothpaste on it, brush those bad boys. You know what happens on a Saturday when I don't have to go to work? I don't brush my teeth. It's nasty, I know. It's gross. As much coffee as I drink, my, my breath has got to be foul. I noticed that in the summer. All of a sudden, like, school was out. I didn't have my morning routine, and it was like... I think it's been like five days since I've brushed my teeth. I can feel a film on it. So i got to start creating a new routine. Yes, I know you're appalled. You were the one that was kissing me with that foul breath, too. <laughs> but it's like, we, we will stop doing this thing because we're not paying attention. We fall into these things. One of the other things that I'll wind up doing is I don't know what to do with my time. Well, do you know there's a lot of things out in the world that are vying for your time and your attention? All of a sudden, there's this little thing in the phone, in the pocket, you know, it's a smartphone, and it's got all of these videos that I'll just fall into the TikTok hole and be there for like 45 minutes and I'm like snap out of it, don't even know what's going on. Or all of a sudden I pull on Netflix. I'm like, ooh, that looks like a good show. Three days later, I haven't moved from the couch. There's like a permanent imprint of my body on it. And it's like, what am I doing? How have I been so consumed with this? See, I've got to recognize these patterns, just like you've got to recognize your patterns. Think about the tendencies. Think about what are you thinking about? Think about what you're thinking about. Is it Jesus? 
And then how are you spending that time? Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. You know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be stopping what we're doing, listening to God, meditating on his word. Take time to think about that. If you're struggling with sin, what is that sin? Look at the scriptures that talk about that sin. Other people who have overcome that and also other people that were found guilty of that. Start looking at it. Remember that God is true. He is just and his word never changes. When all of a sudden we see that sin must be punished and I keep falling into the sin and I don't want to be punished for this. Well, how do I stop sinning? <coughs> Follow Jesus because Jesus never sinned. And Jesus was the one that told us, go and sin no more. Do you think he would have told us to go and sin no more if it wasn't possible for us to sin no more? Would he have actually given us a task that was impossible for us to accomplish? Nope. And yet we'll sit there and be like, I'm human. I can't do it. I'm always going to sin because I have a sinful nature. Well, if your only nature is in and of yourself, absolutely you do. But as a born-again Christian, you have the nature of God. You are a child of God. You have taken on His nature. And I remember the scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if Christ had the strength to stop sinning, He can strengthen me to stop sinning. I am going to meditate on those scriptures. And like you see in Joshua 1.8, what is Christian meditation? What does it look like to meditate on the word? You keep this book of the law in your mouth. You do not depart from it. You meditate on it day and night, observing to do according to all that's written therein. You start seeing this and be like, Jesus didn't sin. And I can do all things through him. I will not sin. I can see that moment where I stop sinning, where I no longer fall for this same trick that Satan has been tripping me up over for decades. It's not going to happen anymore. I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. That's how we meditate on his word. We read it. We listen to it. We speak it. And it becomes so alive in us that we now see ourselves actually doing it. When we will do that, when we will stop and listen, when we will pay attention, and ultimately when we will pray and remember that God loves us and he cares for us and he's provided a way of escape for us. When we will do that, we are firmly anchored and we are no longer drift. Jesus will keep us anchored. Jesus will keep us from drifting because Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer. I want to challenge you today and I want to challenge you not just for this week. This isn't just a, a weekly challenge. This is a daily challenge. This is a life challenge. Pay attention to the message that you've heard. Pay attention to the central message of who God is who you are, and who you are in him. How did that come about? Through Jesus. And what does that mean for us? It doesn't matter what we face. He's got us. He's saved us. He'll deliver us. I just need to focus in him, and I just need to trust in him. You see, when we keep hearing that, 
when we pay attention to that, we will stop doubting that. When we wrap our heads fully around the fact that God loves you, he died for you, he loves you, he died for you, he loves you, he died for you. When that becomes a reality, we don't doubt it. It doesn't matter what the world says, and it sure doesn't matter what Satan says. But stay anchored in that. He loves us more than anything else that we have. I know my wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my family, my church. I know y'all love me. You don't love me as much as Jesus does. Because he died for me. Like, when we pay attention to that, what else is there to worry about? What else is there to be concerned about? What can actually get us off track? Nothing. That's my challenge. Focus on Jesus. Pay attention to the message that he delivered to us. Simple message of he came to save us because the Father loves us. That's who you are. That's who he is. Let's pray.